It's been said that Africa is uh, a dark continent. It truly uh, did fulfill that expectation when we arrived there and began to understand the cultures and the dimensions of challenges that exist in Africa, especially South Africa, dimensions including economic, uh, social, political, certainly spiritual, all of them testified of a great, great darkness. But we, although we comprehended the darkness, we also were able to testify of the great light that has been shown upon South Africa by God's mercy in the testimony of the saving work of Jesus Christ. We had the privilege of meeting many servants of the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ. We prepared our agenda, essentially about half ministry, sort of businessy, if you want to think of it that way, and about half leisure as it would close out our sabbatical time away. And we thought there would be a, um, a neat division. <laughs> but it wasn't so clean and dry as uh, we... We're greatly encouraged. I'll support out what grace the Lord had given us to minister with and beheld our, the greatness of our God. Uh, as I stood before the church, Cornerstone Fellowship there in Nisna two Sundays ago, um, I didn't know what great sights we would see ahead of us. They were just listed on an itinerary. We had no category, no National Geographic documentary could ever fill the vision of the beauty and awesomeness, the greatness of God's creation, both in people, their artistry, their culture, and in the uh, creative works of God in the landscapes, the mountainscapes, and the seascapes that we saw. Uh, So when I stood before the people, I told them prophetically but sincerely that the most beautiful thing that I believed that I would see all week would be the people of God. And, and that truly was uh, true. It came true. While Jennifer and I often were speechless to take in um, the experiences that we had seeing the most, probably the most significant features of South Africa perhaps even the continent and some of the world, uh, still the most beautiful thing was to experience the love of the body of Christ that was felt so common, that felt so familiar to us as the people embraced us in just a very short period of time, opened up their hearts eager to hear the word of God, to receive the testimony of Christ, but also, as I had mentioned before, to hear testimony that there was a church uh, 9,000 miles away who was praying for them. And it began to stir up in them, by their own testimony, thoughts of prayer for us. And so many had said it would be their goal then, moving forward, to pray for us as a church. I preach a message that I'll share with you, Lord willing, uh, next Sunday called the Sisterhood of Churches, and just encourage them about the common grace of God and how he ministers to 
churches in, uni- in common ways, but also in very unique and special ways um, as uh, a pattern and as modeled out in the New Testament. It was good for them to hear as they contemplated the greater works of Christ in the world. It was good for me to preach as I also contemplated this great God and his works that he was up to in the world. This morning, um, our time together will be divided into three not, not equal timed sections, but we'll divide it out this way. The first is I'd like to show you about an eight minute video of really the ministry side of things of what is taking place in Nisna from our perspective. We could only see the tip of the iceberg, but we endeavor to share that with you um, in humble uh, confession that it is, it is only pictures and it cannot capture what the Spirit's doing through the many works of the church plants there on the southern tip of Africa. A couple um, context points is that is we were on the coast of south of the south part of South Africa. So if we went swimming, we would be swimming through the Indian Ocean. If we survived the sharks, we would get to Antarctica 3,000 miles later. But we were there on the tip, and so when you look at the globe, you have to turn it upside down and look to see where we were. And there on that coastal part of South Africa is, in general respects, the least populated area. It's called the Garden Route. It is a beautiful, lush coastline uh, populated by small um, cities. And it is their desire to see gospel preaching uh, churches planted all along this I don't know how many mile route, maybe 100 or 150 mile route of villages, but they're concentrating their work on a town roughly the double the size of Westerville called Nisna, starts with a K. And uh, in that city, they've planted, I believe, five churches working together in a highly cooperative and strategic way. And they look to expand, I believe, potentially into 10 churches along this garden route as they establish themselves more firmly and build up and minister and equip leaders and brothers and sisters in Christ. With that said, let's watch this movie. You'll see uh, both their work and the greater works of their partners. And then also want to remind you that there is a Bible Institute that they're looking at beginning. Um, it's called Foundations Bible Institute to train up leaders essentially at the beginning in gap year of high school. Um, it is still um, in the works largely because of uh, approval needed for some building things. But you'll see that, and that's called foundations. But uh, let me share a few remarks as we get into this um, this morning, uh, reviewing a little bit of sabbatical uh, thoughts and then moving into uh, our time together in the Word. Uh, But it is good to be back after six weeks of being apart. I want to thank you firstly for your prayers Many of you prayed for me as I was in a bit of pain at the beginning of our time away with a sudden need for a root canal uh, as soon as we left town. The Lord gave great grace and healing uh, to deal with my situation, which turned out to be essentially three root canals on the same tooth three, three different times. Your love and concern and prayers were answered uh, by the Lord in a kind and healing way as I endured that time, the first week um, during sabbatical, and God brought about great healing mercy. Uh, so I want to thank you for praying for that, but for all, all throughout. I know that you're praying. Many of you were assuring me of your prayers before. You've assured me of your prayers upon our 
uh, reacquaintance this morning, and some of you received, uh, sent texts and emails and other things. I thank you so much for your prayers for not only myself, but uh, my wife, uh, my walk with the Lord, uh, and also um, our time with our children. Secondly, I want to commend you for continuing on in love for one another and for love for Christ. Your continued ministry of grace in the church is evident and together you overcame several hardships, personal and corporately at times that required a greater body of believers to pray and minister into particular needs. In that vein, I want to thank the deacons for their intuitive and attentive ministry to the body. Your concern for the work of the Lord and care for his people was very much a unifier for our church and continues in this church. Very importantly, I want to thank Nathan uh, publicly for his tireless leadership in taking on more than double duty in caring for the flock. While I have thanked him countless times, In private, I want to commend him before you all as a brother who set aside personal ambitions, sacrificed much time and treasure at times and discernibly tended to the needs of the flock. From shepherding through musical worship on Sundays to preparing two very rich sermons to leading the church through fellowships and care for the sick and prayerful ministry, uh, careful, prayerful ministry touches and more. Nathan evidenced the hand of God upon his life for this particular time. Thank you, Vanessa, for sharing uh, your husband and supporting him in unseen and sacrificial ways for the health of our church. Nathan was so kind. There was a time when Nathan and I were together in the middle of the sabbatical and he refrained from dumping everything on me. And I cannot imagine the restraint it took for him to not share with me just even one little, you wouldn't believe this, or pray for this person in this way, or how would you handle this, or you'll probably kill me, but we decided to do this. Uh, He was a very faithful brother and was careful to preserve, if you will, the sanctity of the rest that God was giving to me. Then I want to thank you as a church for giving me this opportunity of rest in close counsel with a dear pastor friend who listened as I relayed recently the struggles and exhaustion of my heart. He responded by saying, the Lord saves you. He was saying that the Lord saves my usefulness. But even more, he was saying, the Lord saves my worship. The Lord saves my all of him from becoming dead, lifeless, and perhaps even faithless. In 24 years of pastoral ministry, I have never stepped away from teaching and preaching ministry for more than two to three weeks, including transition from one church to another. A six-week break was not scary for me, but it was a little disorienting to be transparent at first. The second week of sabbatical, I read 
Psalm 46.10, which in uh, an older version of the scriptures, the King James says, Be still and know that I am God. But in the ESV reads, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The uh, second week of sabbatical, I wrote in my journal, Rest. Rest is to be received, not strived for. I'd known that verse in other translations as saying be still, but the ESV says cease from striving, and that was helpful. No doubt with the pressure of pain in my mouth, among other things, I was striving for rest, but needed to lay down even my well-meaning attempts to get something from God. I needed to have my hands open, my heart open, and receive rest, not as something that I would earn or deserve or perform for, but something that I would receive as a gift. Well, your decision, your decision to not only allow me to head into a sabbatical, that not only served me and my family in many varied ways, but it gave me the opportunity to spend some time, if you will, reinvigorating my faith and drawing near to the Lord to see him more in the unsurpassing value of who he is and the precious relationship that he shares with me. In the, uh, in the slideshow um, at lunch that you'll see, Jennifer happened to be a little sneaky and she grabbed a picture of me as uh, we were in our last night um, in uh, Cape Town and really the last night of our sabbatical. And we didn't dare recall all of our experiences in that conversation because one conversation wouldn't have been enough. We both felt that. But I was recalling, I was sharing with her, the fact that I was uh, just immensely um, grateful for the gift that you gave to me. And that perhaps it's one of the greatest gifts that I've ever been given. And so I thank you. Thank you for the great gift for supplying, providing, praying, caring, and being conscientious enough to care for us in such a meaningful and loving way. Lastly, I thank the Lord for this gift. The Lord answered my prayers and provided for our family. He ministered to me. He met with me. He comforted me. He healed me. He cared for me. He showed me some of his greatness. He allowed me the privilege of meeting some of his most faithful servants. He made me feel necessarily small and helpless. He poured grace into my marriage. He gave wisdom and love into our parenting and likely innumerable blessings that were working providentially to serve us every moment just like he serves you. So I thank the Lord, even as I thank you. And I have more things to share with you. and I hope that you won't get tired from it. And I hope that I won't become unthankful as time moves on. Watching the video 
um, you might have had some questions concerning what is the, the relationship between what you saw as called Nisna Hope, Cornerstone Fellowship, and the Stowe family. And the Stowe's have explained this and they have presented this, but I think it's helpful for you to understand uh, because I think it's a lesson to learn, a spiritual lesson for us to learn and understand the cooperativeness of gospel ministry, but essentially how that cooperation really just models the creativity of our of our grace-driven God. God is creative in the ways in which he has delivered the gospel to us significantly, and we'll get into this, into the word in a few moments, but God became an infant to deliver the gospel to us. Of all the things that God could have done, God became man and in so doing became the necessary substitute, the only creative means by which God could have delivered you and I from our sinful condition and the penalty of our sin. Cooperative ministry just really um, is that reflection. Cooperative ministry corporately in, in the body of Christ like a local church, but also cooperative ministry as other churches relate with one another. And so uh, Nisna Hope is the portal. It's, a, it's an organization, it's an NPO, a nonprofit organization for fellow church planners to continue to enter into South Africa. They bring with them a sort of an institutional educational type visa that gives them access into South Africa, which is a difficult country to enter into with a religious visa. So every church planner that comes in to this area has designed a specific uh, need or problem in the Nisna community to address. And so they've come with a business model, if you will, to address a practical human need in the community, but with obvious spiritual and gospel-driven overtones. Nisna Hope then is this nonprofit organization that's run by the, the cooperative efforts of each of the pastor church planters. And together, each church that uh, pours into this headquarters and this cooperative ministry has a specific outreach ministry to the community. So, for example, Brett's church has a business center. There's a, there's a need for a business center. Now, in our church, we actually are familiar with the business center model because we operate out of what's, what we, we do is elevate offices here in Westerville. That's where our, my, our church office is. That's where my study is. And then we use the conference rooms for our small groups and prayer times together. And so we, we use that. Well, they essentially, that business center is essentially a small version of Elevate. It's a small version of Cohatch, if you're familiar with that. And there's a need for that type of space for entrepreneurs and small business owners and different workers in the Nisna area. So they're able to come into the business center, use the Wi-Fi, use the printer, have some coffee, have more coffee. And also then Brett and others are able to build relationships with these people and then say, you know, on Sundays, it actually doesn't look like this. We actually worship here, and we'd love for you to join with us. You already know where we're at, so come have some coffee and worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings. So it has become not only a, an essential place for the people in the community and their growing awareness of its existence, but also then a great place to build relationships. But there's other churches that are meeting practical needs. For example, there's computer learning, there's counseling ministry, um, there's even, as we saw, the Mercy baby saver ministry that you saw and some others that each church essentially 
uh, this is a very simple way to say it, has their own uh, tip of the spear that they offer, and then they all use this building together called Nisna Hope, which is the organization's name, for resourcing, for meetings, for, for their own use. There does happen to be one of the churches that meets in that building as well, but they don't claim the building as like their church building all week long. So that's that Lagoon side uh, Baptist church. So Cornerstone Fellowship runs the business center. And then uh, fourthly, Nisna Hope headquarters facilitates and is designed to resource really all the churches. It's there for their use. So if you want to think of it this way, uh, perhaps if, if the churches in Westerville all needed sort of a, a headquarters um, to use, that would be similar to that um, for many different uses. The Stowe's encourage and support other churches even as they receive the same. And they have wonderful ministry partners. We experienced the fellowship and the blessed chemistry, really the bonds of Christ that's between them and the other couples who are serving and leading in these different ministries and churches. And um, all told, we I think we met seven or eight different church planning couples. And then I was able to especially have some meaningful one-on-one conversations with about six or seven of those church planning pastors, which was very helpful for me uh, for us to, as we exchanged um, testimonies of Christ and then also just to hear um, their ministry strategies and challenges and care for them and pray for them even as they learned about us and what God is up to. Um, and so that is the um, that is the model there. Following um, our time together this morning, if time permits, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to ask some questions about um, this. But I want you to turn your, your copy of the scriptures to the, the Gospel of John in John chapter 1, if you would please. As I reflected upon the various ministry strategies, uh, really the spirit of cooperation and creativity um, that I beheld among this Nisna Hope ministry, which, by the way, uh, is a very unique situation because uh, I'm not quite sure, but I think I could say it safely that each one of those church planning pastors is supported by a different mission board sent out by different churches. And so this unique teamwork, this teamwork mentality among these uh, pastors and couples is, um, I think, a very rare thing. And so there's nothing that should draw them together except for their call of Christ upon their lives. And so it was a joy to behold that, that and that creativity. But as I considered and as I've learned and as I looked into their ministry and as we had shared before uh, we left the message of the Word of God in especially through one of the pioneer, uh, we would say, European missionaries, David Livingston, who, who explored Africa and mapped Af- Africa so that gospel missionaries could follow into all the way into the very central part of Africa with the message of the gospel. We talked about the pathways to hearts um, as we left you on June 11th. This morning, the title of, of our lesson together is Pathways to People. I believe that God has called every single one of us to be a path maker to people. Uh, There are people in our lives who God is bringing about, who God has brought into our lives, whether sometimes we've asked for it or not, who God desires and has ordained that they are part of our lives, that we might create a pathway for the gospel to cross over into their lives. So I'd like for us to look at a survey, a model, and a and a mandate for the gospel advance as a pathway to people. 
When we consider God's creativity, we recognize that God created a pathway to you and I. We, we sing about this, we preach about it every Sunday, we, we preach it to ourselves throughout the week, but we, we recognize that, that if God had not created a pathway to you and I, we would still be lost. There was a desperate need for a path to be placed between us and God and a path that we could not construct ourselves or cut our way through. We know when we study the, the ministry of the Trinity as it relates to um, how the gospel had come about, the Father authored, that is the Father, we think of it this way, he authored, he planned out the gospel uh, plan for the redemption of mankind. And the Son willingly volunteered himself. God sent his Son into the world. Uh, Jesus volunteered himself. He accomplished the plan. He performed, he worked out the plan of the gospel for the redemption of sinners like you and I. And thirdly then, the Spirit applies the gospel to the hearts of those who are lost. We read about that in 2 Corinthians 4 this morning, where if it had not been for the light of the Spirit's work, of the testimony of Christ into our hearts, then we would still be in darkness. And so the Spirit applies the gospel. You see, God authored it and Jesus accomplished it, but until the gospel is applied to the lostness of the human condition, we remain dark and really creatures of darkness. So God was incredibly creative, incredibly merciful in creating a pathway to our hearts. And there really has never been so effective a rescue plan. So often you and I are awed and inspired by stories of rescue when we hear of our brave um, first responders or even just a good Samaritan citizen who endeavors to put their life at risk uh, in order to rescue some, some. At times our hearts are broken to find that some people who put their lives in harm's way to rescue another life, their lives have been the cause that has broken our heart. But none so great a rescue plan has ever been conceived and even created and enacted as the rescue plan of the biblical gospel. There is no path but the gospel of grace between God and us. And so the heart of love and mercy drafted this path for our redemption. Let's read in John chapter 1 as we look at the creative means of God to create this pathway. It began on God's side, if you will, of the bridge. It began on God's side, the starting point. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse number 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was carving a pathway. When he arrived in the world, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know this one who came across the path. Even though he made the world, John says, he did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become not just creative beings because they already were, but now because the light has shined in the heart of those who would believe in his name, he gave them the position 
the privilege to become now children of God. They were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They did not create their own pathway to God. And they could not, for they needed to be born of God. Continuing in his creative, path-making way, John tells of this God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thus says the Word. We recognize in this two truths. And that is, number one, that God was incredibly creative. We recognize in Genesis 1 and even here in John 1 that God was was infinitely creative in his acts of creating this universe. Jennifer and I, as we one evening were at Brenton on the sea, we looked above our heads when the sun went down and there we saw the Milky Way in its full glory. And in the middle of the Milky Way was the Southern Cross. It reminded me again of the fact that God created all this world. The more significant thing that God has done is that he has created a pathway to the hearts of the lost ones through his son, Jesus Christ. God was creative in making the mountains and the oceans and the continents and the animals and the microbes and the stars. But the glory that John says that existed in Jesus Christ was significantly not in his creative acts of the universe, but the glory that John points us to in the manifestation of God in Jesus Christ in the flesh was the saving power of God to buy back, to redeem his, his creation from its lost condition. This John says, is glory. Yes, there's glory in the Milky Way. And yes, there's glory in the microbe. But the glory that that John says is a glory that is full of glory is the saving work of Jesus Christ. There were no old paths for God to rebuild between him and man. There was no paths possible unless God would create them. But we also recognize that God created a path in a very personal way. It was, of course, a sacrificial way. God would have to offer himself, even his son. He would have to become the pathway. You see, the pathway wasn't made of wood and it wasn't made of religion. It wasn't made of merit or of good works. The pathway would become the bleeding sun on the cross. The pathway would become God. God would be the pathway. It was nothing impersonal. It was his very person. It would include submission, this pathway. It would, become, would include submission of the sun. It would include extreme suffering. 
And it would include interdependence, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause here and make an application here. Such is the way in which you and I are to create gospel pathways into people's lives. God calls you and I to live in such a way that in order to deliver the message and the love of Jesus Christ, it will involve sacrifice, personal sacrifice. It will involve submission. It will involve submission to the Spirit's leading. It will involve submission to God's instruction and commands to to go and, and bear witness of Jesus Christ. Notice then in verse number 14 in John 1, I'm sorry, verse number 15, John bore witness. That's what our calling is to do, is to just bear witness of this one who has revealed himself. To just tell people about this Jesus. To just bear witness. There may even involve some suffering, some more often it seems even the fear of man, the fear of loss of reputation, the fear of discomfort in the conversation, the fear of misunderstanding and intentions. And there will be the the necessity of interdependence. And so we see that God had His Word and Himself to share. It is a revelation of Himself that brought light into a dark place and He came to people who did not know Him and He created context. And He filled the need for relevance by His dwelling with us. He caused us to look beyond our self-glory to His greater glory. He was full of grace and truth and John bore witness of Him. He just told people about Jesus. When we look at the relational aspects of this, we see that God had creative avenues. Even as we looked at the Snyder's and Hope model, and we look at even some of our church strategies, we recognize that there is, there is the wonderful opportunity for creative avenues to draw close to people, to show them who Jesus is. Now, John, of course, was very creative in his, in his presentation of Jesus and wearing camel skin and eating locusts and living in the wilderness. He was quite a spectacle. I don't think any of it was contrived in any fleshly way, but it was a very creative avenue. But our creative avenues might look a little different, but they may have some of that same heartbeat where we are just saying, God, you've given me unique a unique voice into this relationship, a unique position in this relationship, a unique viewpoint even. Um, maybe even has to do with with your your sex, of who you are, a male and female as you relate in this relationship. Whatever it may mean, there's creative avenues and sometimes even layered upon layered. But there also is, as we see from God's perspective, there there's a personal investment. A personal investment. And thirdly, this all equates to redemptive relationships. What is redemptive relationships? It is a pathway to people. It is having a purpose for the relationship. Maybe you haven't considered or maybe you have neglected to perceive the purpose for relationships that you have in your life. God 
God knows why you have the relationship. God's ordained it. It may appear to you that it was sort of coincidental, uh, happenstance, that you came into this relationship. You don't know how you ever became friends. If you looked back, it was something silly. It was bumping into each other in the grocery store or being set on the same project at work or maybe even a neighbor. But these redemptive relationships are the pathway to people and, and it is our job to make a path, to travel the path, bringing with us grace into that. How do we do that? We live in truth, live in the truth of the gospel of Christ. Recognize the path that has been carved, that has been established from God to you. Never get over the fact that you uh, were far away. There was no path to you had God not created it. Walk across that bridge, walk across that path with truth and love often. And matter of fact, create relevance. Create a reason why you're in that person's life. Uh, if anything, just in your own consciousness, in your own prayer life, in your own thoughtfulness, create a relevance. Create context. Jesus put himself before people of every type to be in their context. Uh, some repelled him. They, re- they were repulsed by his presence in their life. Others wondered and didn't completely understand, like the woman at the well, why he would be in their life. As it unfolded, it became more clear. Others begged for his attendance, even as they they came to know who he was, like Zacchaeus inviting him at the table. One of the ways to become relevant in someone's life, but, but remember the relevance is to, in order to relate redemptive truths, One of the ways to become relevant in someone's life is to be present. To be present in routine. And often, when you're present in routine, you'll end up being present in crisis. You'll be present in crisis. This reminds me of how God has approached us. You see, God lived in truth. He is truth. He was not jealous of that truth, protective of that truth, uh, hoarding of that truth, that he shared the truth just openly and freely through his son, Jesus. God has, by the word of God, the testimony of Christ, by the Spirit's work, even He is at work in this world stimulating relevance. He is at work in this world convicting men of their sin, showing men their brokenness, parading it in front of their eyes in headlines that are non-stop, and even showing their own futility and their own private lives and the brokenness of things around them, the brokenness of their own selves, the brokenness of others in their lives. This world is broken and God is saying that brokenness is relevant. That's the context. That shows the need for the grace of the gospel. And God is present. 
God is present in the routine. Putting your socks on in the morning. Drinking your coffee. Driving to work. The stuff you don't even think about. God loves to be present. Even if you don't recognize that He's there. But there's times when crisis when we realize that He was there. He is there. He's going to be there. God delivers grace to save us from ourselves and from our sin in this way. In all of this, we see that there's a model, for example, in Nisna Hope, of creative access, meeting practical needs, using them as pathways to human hearts. It's just a reflection of John 1, of Christ, who entered into our context, related, crossed over, and rescued us. But then I think about how it relates to us as a church, and you have been fed so well. I felt very undeserving to stand here this morning. Honestly, after hearing, I listened this week to all six messages that were preached in my absence, and I felt very unworthy to deliver to you the word this morning after such great shepherding and loving, caring, thoughtful ministry in the word, especially in, in relationship to the truth of the church. You have been delivered, you have been given um, some good truth as a church to think on. It might be areas of your heart where there's a need for repentance. It might be areas of our church that we need to change and grow and be transformed by grace. My guess is all of those are true. But the fact is that we're left with this too, that we we must be about living out the gospel and as a church working together individually and corporately, of course, to create pathways. And I believe that we have a bright future ahead as we surrender ourselves to God's design and our particular role to play here in our community and in places like South Africa, South Korea, and other places where we prayerfully support missionaries. So I admonish you and encourage you to consider these steps and take them to heart and ask the Lord where He might be calling you to confess and repent and look and relook, re-examine the meaning of relationships that God has granted you and begin to depend upon Him for grace as you just simply follow in obedience to what He has already been doing in people's lives. I'd like to lead us in prayer, but then following that, I'd like to ask, just offer about five minutes of questions as we relate to the ministry over there. Um, so I invite you to think about some of those questions here in a moment. So we'll refrain from our musical time of response following prayer, and we'll have some time for questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you apply this word to our hearts and help us as we look unto you to find every part of grace that is intended to cross the bridge to our hearts. So often we have repelled and rebelled against the grace that is so freely offered to us. Oh, forgive us, Lord, for having closed hearts, closed hands. Let us be open to receiving the gospel of grace, even as believers, but then also not only receivers, but givers. Help us to be then channels and path makers and useful in your hands to be your hands and feet, um, to be Christ, um, to serve Christ to those who need to hear of him, to bear witness like John did. Just tell others 
about Christ and the fullness of His grace and glory. We pray that You would shape in us a church that is faithful to the calling of Christ, that You would lead us, that You would guide us, that You would help us as we obey You to obey in faith and obedience to all that You've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.